0: I missed you guys while I was gone. I was here, here last week, but didn't get to interact with, uh, with all of you. Um, so it's been like three weeks since I've, I've stood here and had the privilege of, of preaching on a Sunday morning. And so I, I'm really glad to be back. Uh, this is where my heart is. I love you guys. I'm glad that we're in the same family together here in Okinawa. And when I'm not here, uh, I miss being, being here and sharing life with you guys. Uh, But that being said, I'm also thankful for guys like Ron and like Stephen who are willing to serve um, so that I can take trips when I need to or want to take trips. And I'm really glad that our family um, can lean into other people and and trust and trust other guys, um, other people um, to share faithfully from God's word. So Stephen, thank you. Ron's homesick. I'm not going to put his cell phone up, uh, his number up, but he's going to do some payback maybe I'll put it up later. Do we have that? We shouldn't do it. He's homesick in bed. I'm sure he would love to have his phone uh, blown up by you guys. Um, But let's pray uh, as we begin our time. We'll pray for Ron, and we'll pray for our time together. And if you want to get a head start, we will be in Philippians uh, chapter 4 this morning. Jesus, thank you for this time that we can share as family. Um, I pray that you would help us. Uh, We need your help. Father, uh, we just sang words that reminded us that your power and yours alone can change a leper's spot, a leper's spots and melt uh, a heart of stone. And, and we know from the gospel that we, uh, our sin, our sin nature, our rebel tendencies is uh, as hideous as leprosy. We just can't see it because it's going on on the inside. But if we could see it on the outside so clearly, it would look Um, worse than leprosy. It's hideous and it's incurable apart from your power. So, Father, remind us of that this morning and remind us that it's your power alone that can melt uh, our hearts of stone. And we know that in Christ, you've given us new hearts, but we know that our rebel tendencies still on many days, it feels like we have um, hard hearts. And so we we need you to do that work again this morning. I need you to do that for me, Uh, Jesus. I pray that you would melt Um, my own heart of stone this morning. And as we spend time in your word, that we would encounter you there, Um, not just intellectually, like John said, but uh, in all of our being, that we would know you and know the power of your resurrection and be conformed um, into your likeness. Father, I pray that you'd give us life this morning as we look to Christ. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for bringing us to life. We thank you for sustaining our lives, and we thank you for using the word Um, to be transformative in our hearts and in our lives. And we pray that you would do that again this morning. And in all of that, um, that we would would be submissive to your work, but that we would also run towards you, that we would not be unwilling or reluctant children, but that we would eagerly embrace um, and acknowledge our need for you and embrace the help and the work that you do for us in Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, Philippians 4, we're going to begin in uh, verse 2. If you've been hanging around uh, our family here in Okinawa, our pillar family, for any length of time, you know that we like to talk a lot about our identity in Christ. Uh, Jesus makes us family. It's not that the church is like a family. We, we are family. Uh, we are rescued rebels, adopted in sons and daughters. We're siblings, right? So we're, that makes us brothers and sisters, We're family. We are a family of servants, and we are a family of servant missionaries. In the Father, we are established in our identity as deeply loved sons and daughters, fully accepted in Jesus, fully affirmed, um, not based on our own work or our own righteousness, but based on our older rescuing brother's work on our behalf. We're adopted sons and daughters, and in Jesus... We are established in our identity as servants. He himself, as our creator and king, came not to be served, but to serve, right? And so he establishes us in our identity as servants. And in the Spirit, we're established in our missionary identity. Jesus, as this very Son of God, was empowered and sent by the Spirit. And we, too, are empowered and sent by uh, the same Spirit to do the same work uh, that Jesus was sent to do. What the Father has done to us, He rescued us from our rebellion, He intends to do through us for the good of others. And this is why we exist, family. This is why we exist. We are a family of servant missionaries who exist for the Father's glory and for the good of those who have not yet been adopted into the family. We do not exist for ourselves. And while we're talking about the church's family, just a little aside that I think it's important to remind ourselves of, it's important to remind myself of this as a pastor, um, especially because I love you so much and I am so, I think so favorably of our church family here, we need to say this. Uh, let's be reminded that we, as one local expression of God's global missional family, right? One local expression of God's global missional family, we are not better than any other church family on this island. We're not. We're not better. We're not a better church. Uh, different in some ways? Sure. We're all, I mean, just like in your biological family, you got your parents and your family, you got your own stuff going on and you've got an uncle or an aunt with a family unit and you guys are different from each other, even though you have the same blood coursing through your veins and the same family tree. We've got the same dad somewhere. You're different, not better. You're different and churches are the same way. Different in some ways, sure. Better, no. So let's be a humble family, increasingly aware of our dependency on Jesus and our need for growth. And every time we see a weakness in another family, whether it's on this island or elsewhere, let's ask Christ to give us the same clarity uh, for our own hearts and for our own families because we have weaknesses and sure growth points too. So let's let's be humble. Now, many passages in the Bible speak to all three aspects of our gospel identity, right? Sons and daughters, servants and missionaries. Some passages really zero in on one of those, right? Really zero in. So let's read our passage for today, Philippians 4, chapter uh, chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. And while we're reading, you form an opinion as to whether you feel it's leaning into one of those directions. And let's see if we agree at the end, okay? Beginning in verse 2, Paul writes, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche, two ladies, uh, to agree in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness whatever is honorable, honorable. whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Is our passage leaning? Do you feel it leaning into one area over the other two? Or do you feel like it touches on all three? What do you think? I mean, I'm going to tell you what I think, but you can go first. You see shades of all three? Yeah? Okay. Thank you. I'm going to disagree with you guys a little bit because you're all nodding and agreeing, uh, You're agreeing with Christian. That's great. I love the solidarity. I feel like it's zeroing in on family. Like I feel like that's the direction it's going and maybe all three are there for sure and we'll probably see that come out. Um, here, here's what I see. Here's what I see Paul getting at as we uh, read this passage together. I see three practices of a healthy church family. I see unity in Jesus. He's urging unity in Jesus. I see joy in Jesus. He's commanding it twice to be rejoicing. And I see formation by Jesus, right? I see I see us submitting to the work of Christ and being formed by him um, as a family. And you may be thinking, John, you're saying in Jesus, unity in Jesus, joy in Jesus, formed by Jesus. I didn't see Paul quite saying that way. And you're like, I saw in verse two where he said, agree in the Lord. And in verse four where he said, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, but most often in this letter, When Paul uses the title Lord, he is talking specifically about Jesus. We know that from several different places, but if we just flip the page back in chapter 2, verse 11, you might remember this. Paul writes, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. So what Paul is saying when he says when he calls Jesus Lord, he's saying Jesus is Himself God. Yes, He's God the Son, and He willingly submits to God the Father. But He is co-equal, co-eternal. The only person who gets the title Lord in this sense is God. It is a God title. So Jesus is God Himself. He is our older, rescuing brother for sure, but He is also our sovereign King who rules over all things. So when Paul says In the Lord. He is speaking specifically about Jesus. So, a healthy church family practices unity in Jesus, joy in Jesus, and formation uh, by Jesus. So, let's take the first one um, at the top unity in Jesus. A healthy church family is marked by unity in Jesus. If I were to give you a piece of paper and a pencil and ask you this question. If, um, to, if I asked you to come up with a list of potential opportunities for disagreement in your family, within your family, how long would that list be? Or how many pieces of paper do you want? How many sharpened number two pencils do you need? Long list? Long list. Long, long list. There's some silly stuff on the list, right? Some really trivial stuff that when we really step back and look at it, you're like, why do we get so spun up about that? But there's some really serious stuff on the list too. There, there are some really serious things. Um, some of the silly things that you kind of hear joked about all the time is which way the toilet paper roll hangs. <laughs> silly guys, silly. No, and see, you're shaking your heads. This is why we have disagreements. We can't even agree on the severity of the disagreement, Right. Um, dishes. Do you do dishes right away, or is it acceptable for dirty dishes to sit on the table, the counter, the sink for any length of time? You, you can't even agree on that, but you still agreed to get married. That's crazy. We should have figured some of these things out ahead of time. Um, the laundry. Does the detergent go in first, or do the clothes go in and then the detergent goes, goes in? Sorting laundry. Like, who's got time for that? Like, just throw them all in. That's how I roll, that's how I just... So there's some silly stuff. Money, not so silly. Maybe the way we handle money sometimes is silly, but that's serious and it uh, is definitely potential for disagreement in a family. My family and I are working through the latest season of American Idol, moving from silly to serious. Um, I'm a Lane Hardy guy, all the way. Emma's still cheering for, I think her name is Madison. I think she's the lone surviving lady, yep, Madison. But it'll be Lane, all the way, and Emma will be in the second gathering, so I'll get to tease her a little bit publicly. Um, all I'm trying to say is, family, we, we get long lists in our family units, don't we? Like, if. If we really gave ourselves to this exercise, we would spend the rest of our time together this morning and not complete these lists. We would walk out with an uncompleted exercise. So let's step back and remember, you have your family unit and then church is family. We are not like a family, we are family. So our list is really long too. We have a really long list and just like your own family unit, some of the things on that list are silly-ish and some of them are really serious, right? There's a scale Many opportunities for disagreement abound. It actually happened this week in my missional community on Tuesday night, and it was really funny. I don't know if this picture is going to be clear enough. Let's pop it up there and see. Uh, If you have really good eyes, I can see it when I'm up close. If you have really good eyes, there's a green plant growing in the center of that grate. Can you see it? Okay. So we were kind of going around the table after our meal. Logan was leading us in some time in the Bible, and um, it was good. And uh, one of the dudes in our MC who's been in a difficult season of life is like, man, I had the coolest experience this week. Um, I was coming back from my break from work, and I walked over the sewer drain, and God allowed me to see down inside and see this one plant growing into life out of all this garbage and sewage. And it just really struck me that God is going to take my life under that thing. It's in there. And see, that's the point. He was the the dude was like, man, underneath all this junk in my life, under that thing, life's growing up out of that. And he had renewed hope in God. And he shared it with our MC. He texted me during a week. He sent me a picture a couple days later. One of the dudes at our table, um, one of the dudes at our table, just due to his professional experience, cares about water flow and equipment functioning properly and drains not being clogged. Looked at that and did not see life. He saw death, and so that became the conversation at our MC. But like, that's how our family is, guys. Like, silly stuff, serious stuff, personal stuff. We all just see things so differently, so differently. So that's just one example. There are many opportunities for disagreement. If we polled you guys right now, um, a percentage of you would be Republican. Um, The rest of you would not be from Texas. Like, there'd be some Democrats in the room. Um, and there'd be some libertarians who feel nobody can tell you what to like, you, right? They're, so we're diverse in that way too. Um, school, some of you guys homeschool. Some of you love Dodea. Some of you do private school. Some of you now do unschooling. Any unschoolers in the room? So that's a thing if you don't know about it. It's now, it's now most appropriate to unschool your children. Um, yes. Halloween, some of you grew up in families that believed that was the devil's holiday. Um, Others of you grew up and found very redemptive ways to engage in Halloween as a family, and your consciences were not weighed down at all. So we would have that diversity in the room. We would have some diversity as it relates to alcohol. Um, Stephen tipped his hand last week as to which way his family rolls, right? So we all roll. Oh, I'm sorry. How half of the family rolls? (laughs) Yeah, how half of the family rolls? If we were to go around the room, but that moves from silly to serious because some of you have very deep personal reasons. Maybe there was some, an alcoholic parent or uh, like there, that's a, that's a more serious thing, but there's, there's liberty and difference there. And then there's church life. Like we just go on, we won't belabor the point, but music, we could disagree about that. We gather as missional communities. Some of you roll a certain way with your missional expression. Some of you haven't quite figured that out yet, and some of you feel like, no, this is just for the church family thing, right? So there's disagreement there. Um, Clothes, coming to a worship gathering. Again, some of you come from a background where you're expected to get into what you would have called your Sunday best. Others of you just dress either the same way you did the rest of the week or actually worse, or not worse, that's the wrong word, more (laughs) relaxed, more casual, right? Right? Um, I preached barefoot one time, and I don't know why. I think we were next door. I think our, we used to gather over there if you're new to the family. It was insane. And yes, we still had kids on the second floor, and it was awful. Um, but I was barefoot, and it was really hot, middle of the summer. I don't remember the ACs working right. And um, a, dude, a, dude, a, part of, a dude who's part of our family now told me he had brought a guest that day. And his guest told him later, man, I will never come back to your church. I cannot believe your pastor spoke barefooted. That is so inappropriate on every level. I'm like, dude, I'm sorry, John. I'll think about that next time before I, before I kick him off. We have those things, though. And then there are theological reasons. So we're moving from silly to serious. But the theological reasons actually are one of the reasons I love this church so much. We are so diverse. We come from different backgrounds. We agree on close-handed things that... Christ is absolutely clear on in Scripture. You do so with humility, and we approach all these other open-handed secondary things with humility and grace. I just want to commend you for that, and it's one of the reasons why there's life here, and one of the reasons I'm just so thankful to be part of this family. But that's another category where we could have real disagreement. And then maybe the, the most significant are personal disagreements, just the things that burn deep personally, where you have a personal disagreement with somebody else. I think those are the hardest to resolve out of all the categories we've mentioned, there's the greatest potential for disunity and unhealth care. So what does our father expect from us when disagreements arise in the family? That's the question I want to ask. What does our father expect from us when disagreements arise? We see two groups of people in this verse. Group one, there are two ladies who have a disagreement with each other. Lady number one, Yodia. Lady number two, Syntyche. And before we get into the d- disagreement, though, I just want to point this out. Paul's not picking on them. And it's really not significant that they're women. These could be two men. In fact, in other letters, Paul addresses situations where there are disagreements between men. Okay, So he's not picking on these ladies. In fact, did you notice how highly he speaks of them? I mean, he's addressing this situation because he cares for them and has deep respect and he cares for the church. Um, Notice what he says about them. He says, they labored side by side with me in the gospel. That's a really high view, especially in the first century. Uh, Women did not do much side by side or alongside men at all in the first century Roman world. It was very uncommon culturally. The gospel is always transformative, and it is in this way too. So Paul's acknowledging these women were co-equal in the work of planting this church in Philippi. They were indispensable. They were, they were actually part of the leadership team. They labored side by side with Paul in the gospel. And guys, that's how we roll too. And ladies, I just want you to know we value, you are a valued member of our family here. And if you're new to our church family, if you feel like you've not gotten to know people, you have gifts that Christ has given you to serve in his church and you have not found meaningful outlet for those here yet, Please speak with any one of us because we, we want you here, and we want you to know that you're valued, and we want you to have opportunity to contribute in meaningful ways. And our commitment to you is that we will work with you to help kind of to talk through what those gifts are and how they are best expressed in life-giving ways in the life of our church. We want you to know that. Man, the life of our young church is marked by women who have been faithful to Christ, faithful to the gospel, and poured themselves out. We can go all the way back to Ruth Panetta. I'm not going to list what all of these women have done, but Ruth, um, her, her fingerprints are all over the life of our church. Heather Housel. So Ruth is back in Arizona. Heather Housel is down in Florida now. Jordan Rocco, eh, South Carolina. Um, in the earliest life of our church, if you were a guest, it's because you were a friend of Jordan. Like Jordan worked and lived on Kinzer, and every week there were new people, and the reason they were there was Jordan Rocco. Her husband was deployed for the first six months, and um, and she did everything she could to serve and just pour herself out um, in the life of our church. Those are some women you may not know. Satomi, Satomi is essentially single-handedly responsible for everything that is GTO, and she's absolutely killing it. You know Crystal. You've interacted with her. Um, She is the reason we can continue on and, and do what we do as a church family, and I leave, and John leaves, and other people leave, and we all leave, and we all come back, is because Crystal is behind the scenes working and keeping things going and communicating and all of these things. And there's Ashley with our women's ministry and our elders' wives, and you ladies who are involved with a missional community. We just go on and on and on and on. I just want you to know that, ladies. You are a valuable part of what we do here, co equal, side by side laborers in the gospel. Uh, we we, We are thankful for you. All right, so Paul's sure to point that out. He's not picking on these two ladies. And then. He presses in and he addresses this question, what do we do when disagreements arise? And Paul simply says this, we agree in Jesus. We work to agree in Jesus. That's what he tells them to do. Uh, It's the same word that he used in chapter two, verse two, where he says to the entire church, hey, complete my joy by being of the same mind. One mind. That's what we do when there's disagreement in our father's family. We agree in Jesus. But let's ask this question. What does that actually look like? That sounds nice. Great, John. But how do we make that, how do we make that happen? I think we make it happen by asking ourselves a series of questions when there's disagreement, okay? So let's put the disagreement right here. Let's acknowledge that it's in the room. I think that's probably the first step, and we'll talk about that later. Like, just, let's just be okay with the fact that there's going to be a room full of either disagreements or potential disagreements. Let's not ignore them or pretend like they don't exist. So we ask a series of questions. This is what it looks like to agree in Jesus. And the first question is simply this. Do we agree on who Jesus is? I mean, that's kind of foundational. Uh, Do you agree that he is the son of God? Yes. Do you agree that he is God himself? Do you agree that he is Lord? Like Paul says that he's, he has the right to rule over your life. Do you agree that this is his church family? Like this is, he owns this. This is not ours. It's his. Do you agree that he's good? Do you agree that he's our rescuing older brother? Do you agree that he's our king? Like we go on and on and on. Hopefully, if you're a member of this church family, we've come to the common understanding. Yes, we fundamentally agree on who Jesus is. Okay, so that's question number one. Do we agree on who Jesus is? Yes. Question number two, do we agree on our identity in Jesus? We're family. So you're an adopted in son. You're an adopted in daughter. That makes us siblings. That means we have the same dad. We submit to him. we're, we're brothers and sisters in the same family. Yes, okay? Question number three, do we agree on our family posture in Jesus? This is really important. Here's our posture. You'll remember this from earlier in Philippians, chapter two, verses three to four. Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So if that's our posture as a family, what happens to disagreements there? Do we agree that that's the posture that our dad calls us to? Some reluctant yeses, yes, yes we do. So we agree on who Jesus is. We agree on who we are in Christ. We agree on what our father calls us to as a family. Um, How about this? Do we agree that the unity of the family and that our father's reputation and that participation in his mission, that those three things are primary over all of our secondary disagreements? Can we agree on that? Yes. Um, Our father's reputation is primary. The unity of the family is primary. And he's given us this mission. It's not ours. It's his. And participation in it is primary over anything that we might disagree on. And then the fifth question we might ask is this, do we agree that secondary disagreements will never trump any of those things? Yes. So if those are all yeses, that is the pathway. That's what it looks like to agree in Jesus, to agree in the Lord. Well, how do we make that happen? First... We have to understand, like we already said, that we will disagree about many things. It's just a reality. If you want to go to a place where you don't disagree on anything with anybody that's called a cult, and I would advise against it, okay? In a healthy church, in a healthy family, there will be disagreements. What determines health primarily is how we deal with those disagreements, okay? There will be disagreements. And if you're single and not yet married and you're idealistic, think no, when we get married, we, we already agree on everything, John. You, you've not been on our dates and stuff. Uh, it's going to be just like this. And Okay, thanks. I don't have to say anything more. Married people are starting to laugh. Like, there will be disagreements. So that's first. Second, you have a choice. You have a choice before a conversation. In humility and grace, you can acknowledge the reality of disagreement and choose to just let love and grace kind of cover the reality. Like, look we're going to disagree. And I'm not going to allow those disagreements to dictate our relationship or derail the unity or the glory of our father or the mission here. So I don't feel the need to talk to you about every little thing that we disagree about because one, it wouldn't really be healthy. Two, the only thing coming out of my mouth all the time would be negative things like, hey, Dustin, like we disagree about this, Stephen. You and I, like, let's not, that. that's not our focus. So we're aware of it, but we're not consumed with having to work all of these secondary disagreements out with people, right? It's not primary for us. We're comfortable in the tension of having some disagreement in our family. Okay, so that's important. However, sometimes something just weighs so heavily on your spirit. Like you've got to, or it really is convictional. Or maybe you really feel like this thing is black and white in Scripture. So there's not really, we should be agreeing on this thing. And it kind of bothers me that we don't. So what then? Well, you go talk to the person. Like that's where it's time to, in humility and grace... When you've tried to kind of cover it and just let it be and you just feel that you can't, you go and you, you, you seek to have a clarifying conversation uh, with that person. So you initiate, so you initiate, you go, and you go directly to that person, not, hey, Stephen, I feel like I have this disagreement with Dustin. Here's how he's wrong. Like, here's how, like, I should go talk to him, right? Or what would you do? Paul's just, he's telling us what we do. We, as brothers and sisters, go to each other, and we have these conversations in humility and grace. Because here's the thing. You start having the conversation, and maybe you don't actually disagree. Maybe you don't. Maybe you think you do. Maybe the same conviction is expressed a little bit differently. But maybe at the heart of hearts, you actually agree, and you just don't know it. Or here's another good outcome you have the conversation you realize yep we definitely disagree but here's what it looks like to agree in Christ I'm accepted and affirmed in Christ as a son you're accepted and affirmed in Christ in son- uh, you're accepted and affirmed in Christ as a son you are not booted out of the family because of this i then am not going to boot you out or separate myself from you we're brothers and this secondary or tertiary thing is not going to trump the relationship that we have in Christ so maybe you you have the conversation, you find out you still disagree, and that's okay because in our family, agreement is rooted in Jesus, not on seeing eye to eye in everything. In fact, here's the beauty of churches in the New Testament, and it should be the beauty here. And everywhere, anywhere this is a reality, it's super attractive to anybody outside the family, and it's a beautiful testimony to the gospel, and here it is. Really, the reality should be that we are so diverse and come from such different backgrounds. The only thing that we agree on in this room is Christ and his gospel. And That's it. And we could put a period at the end of that sentence and we could still live together in unity. That's what it looks like to, to agree in Christ. And that's the power of the gospel. We don't have to agree on really anything else after that. We agree on who Jesus is. We agree on his gospel, and we can live together in unity for our good, for his fame, for his mission, and for the good of the people who are not yet adopted in. Now, there's a second group of people that Paul talks to, not just Iodia and Syntyche. Uh, he talks to the rest of the family, and he addresses what is their responsibility. He gives some specific names. Uh, one guy's not named. He just calls him his true companion. Uh, I don't know who that is. You can do a little research, but I, I just, I don't think we can figure out who that is. Some dude named true companion. A guy named Clement, okay? We got a name, but still we don't really know who he is either. And then he says, the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. The book of life is essentially our father's scrapbook and all the kids are in there, right? So he's saying, look, hey, he's just saying, I'm talking to you, the whole family. If you are a brother or sister, if you're in dad's scrapbook, the, the book of life, if your name is written down as somebody who has repented of your rebellion and believed in Jesus for your, for your rescue, you're in our father's family, you're in the scrapbook. Book, uh, you have a responsibility in this, believe it or not. Okay, so he's talking to everybody, and here's the role. What's he say? It's very simple. We don't like it, uh, but it's not confusing. It's very simple. What's he say? Help these two women agree. That's our responsibility. Help these two, we'll say people, people agree. Okay, so if there's a disagreement going on in our family, what would help resolve that disagreement? If you are not a part of the disagreement, what would help? What could you do to help? We can pray. We can pray, but that's our responsibility is to do more than that, according to what Paul's saying here. So we pray, but we also initiate conversation. Hey, I've noticed that there seems to be a little tension between you two. Um, Is that just me, or would you like? Would you agree that there's kind of something going on? Can I just like? Can I ask you that question? Is that okay? Like, we ask clarifying questions. We initiate. We encourage reconciliation. And maybe sometimes we facilitate reconciliation, guys, because maybe the disagreement is so deep that there needs to be an objective person to come in from the outside and say, look, uh, we need to work through this. Um, I would be happy to facilitate it. We can do it in my home, we can go out, but I will be the one to facilitate this thing. We hold people accountable. Like, like, dog, I, I know you're wrestling with this and it's okay that you wrestle with this. I understand it's gonna take some time for you to work this out but it's gotta be worked out. Like we're gonna move towards progress. So we're having this conversation today. Is it okay if I check back with you in a week or two to see if you've spoken with this person, to see if you've come up with a plan to speak with this person? Like we have a target of reconciliation. Now we need to take steps together to walk that out. We need to make this work together. We will provide accountability and all of that and humility and grace. And here's why, here's why. Paul wrote this letter a long time ago, right? Like 2000 years, long time ago. Imagine if Paul was still alive, or if somebody with the authority of an apostle, which there are no more of those dudes running around, but suppose there were, suppose they were regional, right? So they knew us, and they were still writing letters. And so once a year, Pillar Church of Okinawa got a letter from an apostle, some dude with some weighty authority speaking on behalf of Jesus, and that dude did exactly what Paul did. He wrote your names into this letter. See where this is going? What if he wrote, and we take Yodia's name out and Syntache's name out, and you put your name in the beginning of the sentence your, your name number one, OK? Now, I'm not going to finish this thought. I want you to finish it. Who's in the second half of your sentence? Your're Yodia sorry, it's a crazy name You're in the first half. Who in this family is Syntyche in the second half of that sentence? We can take a minute or a second or two and kind of think about that. It's a very important question. Who is in that sentence with you? Now, based on everything that we've read so far, what would your father have you do as it relates to the disagreement that you have with that person? You would agree in Jesus, right? This is is where we're going with this. We would agree in Jesus. And guys, this is Paul's point. Healthy churches work for this. It's uncomfortable. None of us, very few of you enjoy this. Some of you do. Most of us do not, right? It's uncomfortable. Healthy churches work for this. We talk. We go with humility and grace. We work to preserve unity in Jesus, All right. We have to keep pressing. A healthy church practices unity in Jesus. Number two, a healthy church practices or is marked by joy in Jesus. This is a command, okay? This is a command and it's repeated twice. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say guys, you need to rejoice in Jesus. So that's really good news for us that it's a command because Paul is signaling the reason I have to command joy. Isn't that seems odd, right? You would think That would not have to be commanded. It would just happen. But it doesn't just happen. Paul commands joy. So joy does not come easy for us. So don't be discouraged. If you're here this morning and for you, joy is a real battle. You are in the majority of followers of Jesus. There is a minority who are gifted in this way and inclined towards joy. The rest... But even they fight sometimes. They battle for joy. Most of us normatively face a sunrise to sunset battle for joy. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come without work. We fight for this. And we need people fighting for us. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Second Corinthians one twenty-four, where Paul says, we work with you for your joy. You need, you need to work for joy, and you need brothers and sisters who are working with you for your joy. It's true that joy is a, what we would call a fruit of the Spirit or a gift, right? It's, it's evidence that he's working in our lives. But like all gifts from the Spirit, while they are gifts given to us, they are hard-fought practice in life. They, they come with effort in our day-to-day experience. So what's, what's Paul calling us to here Listen, he's not calling us to be a family of superficial Christians projecting an image of hyper-happiness that is not authentic. That's not what he's commanding. In fact, look at the very next verse, verse 5. Paul says, let your reasonableness, it could be gentleness, but I like, I like reasonableness. It's a really good transla- translation. This is related to joy. So it's got a reasonable expression, right? Let your reasonableness be known to everybody, So people outside of our family should look at us, they don't know that it's joy being expressed, but the expression that they see is a certain measure of reasonableness, right? It's reasonable. In other words, joy in the heart is expressed relationally or externally with gentleness and reasonableness. Paul says our family should be known for this. So in this family, our highs are not manufactured fake religious highs, nor uh, do our lows own us. They don't own us. We're not in extremes here. Not extremes, not fake. Uh, We reject the idea of faking it till you make it in this family. Rather, we are a family at rest. We are okay with the tension that joy is commanded and joy is hard fought. And on some days, I really have nothing to be joyful about except Jesus Himself, and I'm losing this battle with joy. Right? There's tension there, and we're okay with it. And we're we're not afraid of the ends of the spectrum. No faking. So we're a family at rest. Why? This is important. We're a family at rest. Why? Because Paul says Jesus is at hand, or Jesus is nearby. Jesus is close and returning is the idea of that word. Jesus is already close, and he's not moving away. He's moving towards us. He's coming back. So Jesus is present through his spirit. Jesus sees you, he hears you, he's engaged, he's good, and he's sovereign over every aspect of our existence. And so since he is nearby, Paul goes on to say, this family does not need to be anxious about anything. This is directly connected to the fact that Jesus is near. Like, the reason we don't need to be anxious is precisely because Jesus is close by and moving towards us and rather than having anxiety, Paul says, um, express everything, all of these anxious tendencies in prayer. So you're going to be anxious. You're going to have tendencies towards anxiety. We all we all do. So what Paul's saying, what we do with them is we express them uh, through prayer. This is a really interesting contrast here, actually, uh, because what's prayer? Like just very simply, what is prayer? Talking. Yes. To whom? in in a Christian sense of the word prayer? God. uh, Jesus. we're, We're talking to him, right? So in my anxiety, when I am anxious, when I'm being ruled by anxiety, I'm not talking to Jesus. I'm talking to myself. Really, I'm praying to myself, and I'm spinning myself up. So Paul tells us to talk to Jesus because he is near, And in all of your talking, like it's just confessing, Jesus, I'm anxious right now. I struggle with anxiety. I am an anxious person or this situation. This person is pulling anxiety out. We don't want to give too much credit to the person or the situation. Like the anxiety is down in here, but the situation is revealing that I've got a lot of anxiety going on inside. And so what does Paul do to say? He says, prayer and uh, supplication supplication uh, is a big word, but all it means is ask for help. That's what supplication means. It means help. Paul's saying we are a needy family. I need help. You need help. I need help with anxiety and anxious tendencies. So do you. Uh, going back a sentence or two, we need help with the disagreements that happen in the life of our church family. We need help for those things. Um, really, we need help for everything. You, you just need help. And I need help, right? This family, need, we are a needy family that needs a lot of help. And Paul says, so, so, so rather than being anxious because I need so much help um, and talking to myself about it, I talk to Jesus and ask for that help and ask with thanksgiving, if for nothing else, simply thankful that he's nearby. Jesus, I have nothing else to be thankful for right now. The only reason I'm thankful is that you're, you're near and you, you promise you will help me. So thank you, and please help me, please help. And verse seven tells us what Jesus does for the one who chooses to talk to him. It says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, whose hearts and minds are guarded, according to verse seven? This is important. It's a promise, but it's kind of conditional. Like, whose hearts and minds will be guarded? I think Paul is saying the hearts and minds of those who are choosing to talk to Jesus and ask him for help. The person who in humility runs to Jesus because they need help and they ask for it, this is the person whose heart and mind will be guarded in Christ. And this is where our joy comes from. This is the source for our our joy, not your circumstances. They may get worse. There may be no real joy there. That's a possibility. The gospel is so liberating. We don't have to lie about our situation. We don't have to give people fake promises like, it'll get better. Maybe it won't. God's big enough to handle your situation not getting better. Your relationship may not get better. Your physical ailment may not get better in this lifetime. It may not get better. So our joy is not dependent upon our circumstances, nor is it dependent upon myself. I may not get better. I may take this struggle to the grave. I may take this tendency to the grave. I may take this fear to the grave. Certainly Christ can and is changing me, but my rebel tendencies run so deep, it may be that this is a real struggle until you deep six me. Like, this may just be a thing for the rest of my life. So joy, thankfully, in the Christian worldview is not dependent on your circumstances, nor is it dependent upon you to manufacture joy. That's really life-giving. It's dependent upon Jesus, and it's dependent upon us asking Jesus for help. The people who ask for help receive a guarding of their hearts and their minds. So, healthy church families fight together for joy in Jesus. We fight together for joy in Jesus. So, healthy church families uh, work together for unity in Jesus right? We, we talk about our disagreements and we resolve them in Jesus. We work together for joy. And finally, a healthy, a healthy church is formed by Jesus. In the closing part of this paragraph, there's an order here there. There, Paul's going to tell us about our thoughts. We should be thinking about something and these thoughts precede action, but action follows. Okay. Um, So in other words, Paul's going to talk to us about our hearts and our, our, our heads but then about our hands, like there's something that's going on in our hearts and in our hands that should be directly fueling what we do with our our lives. So they're, they're not separated from each other, they're linked. But Paul's going to start us by talking about what we think about. But when Paul uses this word, think about these things, he's talking about more than thinking. This is simply a starting point for us. In other words, the idea here behind the word think on these things or think about these things is this. I want, Paul's saying, I want you to chart your course according to these things. Um, it's kind of like a road trip as a kid. Uh, for me, road trips as a kid were some of the best experiences in my life because in the early 1980s, most oppressive regulatory laws for children's well-being and safety did not exist yet. So I'm a libertarian, you can, right? We can disagree on I thoroughly embrace the Okinawan way of transporting children. My wife does not. So I embrace that. I embrace that. So we had a station wagon, we put the seats down, we put blankets across the seats. I mean, we traveled from New York, Pennsylvania, Vermont to Florida like that. Um, I had a spool of fishing line and you used to get cool toys and boxes of cereal, like indestructible figurines, and we would tie them up to our fishing line, stick a pencil through the spool of line and then put the window down a little bit and toss that out and just kind of walk. We would just on, on, it, it was a beautiful childhood. It's a beautiful childhood. but. One of my enduring memories is before these trips, right? pre-smartphone, even pre-MapQuest, you were not printing anything out on your printer for ma- like pre-that. We had these things called, it's called an atlas, okay? It's a big book, it's a really big book with nothing but maps in it. Sometimes current and accurate, sometimes not. So every trip would, sit, would start with dad in the front seat and an ap- atlas across the steering wheel. He would think on these things, and then we would actually go somewhere, right? That's what Paul's saying. Like Christianity is not a religion of just thinking. It's not about accumulating knowledge or sitting around like in this transcendental meditative state moving to this higher knowledge. It's not that at all. But it does start with our heart and it does start with our minds. Christianity is not detached from reason, logic, or thinking at all. Our expression of faith is firmly anchored into these things, but that's where it starts, okay? So that's what Paul's saying. Open the atlas, think on these things, but for the purpose of going somewhere with all this, like we have a destination. Paul says, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise think about these things now unfortunately growing up some of us come from traditions where that was handled as a restrictive list so what this means is you can't do this you can't do that you, this was all it was was a list of now you can't life is life is you can't live i'm sorry there are no joy for you no fun nothing like that's possible This is not meant to be restrictive. This is actually Paul giving us a gift saying, if you live this way, this will be really liberating to your soul and your heart. This is the pathway to true joy. And this is actually the pathway to enjoying life in a God-glorifying way and in a way that's good. This is life-giving. This is not restrictive. This is actually empowering. So many things in life have one or more of these qualities or virtues, right? Again, we could go around the room and come up with a long, sprawling list of things in life Beautiful, good things that God has created for our enjoyment and his glory. Some of those things you feel you have personal liberty in, others of those things you would feel like, "Ah, I don't have personal liberty to enjoy that thing. But in this family, we can agree in Christ to disagree on that expression of personal liberty. But that list is long. Now, there's only one thing or one person in all of life who is actually characterized by all of those qualities, though. There's one, and that would be Jesus himself, Um, Jesus is all of those things. Jesus is true. He is honorable. He is just. He is pure. He is lovely. He is commendable. He is excellent. He is worthy of praise. He is all of those things. So is his word. The Bible is true. It is honorable. It is just. It is pure. It is lovely. The law of the Lord is commendable. It is excellent. It's worthy of praise So if we give ourselves to pursuing Jesus through his word, and if we fill our minds and our hearts with his word, we will be a healthy family. This is where health comes from. What will happen is we will know unity in Jesus. Like we will see it, we will love it, and we will pursue it, but it'll be a secondary thing. Like we pursue Jesus and his word first, the unity is a byproduct of that we will know joy joy is a byproduct of pursuing jesus through his word he cultivates the joy if you just set out to pursue joy you can't you can't get your hands around it if you pursue happiness as a as a thing unto itself you can't get it peace just go right on down the line these are not things that you can go buy or acquire in the pursuit of them they're byproducts of pursuing jesus through his word That's exactly what Paul says. Look, verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard, all these things that I've just told you, unity, joy, and thinking and acting on these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And what? The God of peace will be with you, giving the unity, giving the joy, giving the peace through his presence. So guys, We are called to be a practicing family. And that word should be really liberating to you this morning. Practicing. Not perfect. Practicing. And nothing about our expression, nothing about our our practice will be perfect. So just know that. Like if you're getting to know us and you're considering hanging out with us or not, there are probably other churches on the island that are practicing better than we are. Like we will fall short in the practice. But if you're okay with that tension, if you're okay being here and embracing this practice of following Jesus and acknowledging the tension that we're gonna do it imperfectly, you're willing to have humility in that. Look at this promise. In the practicing, the God of peace will be with you. Not when you nail it. He's not saying I'll be with you when you nail it. I'll be with you when you are perfect in this. No, I'll be with you in the practice. And your practice is gonna fall short every, every day. So a healthy church family is marked by unity in Jesus, joy in Jesus, and formation by Jesus. Guys, let's, be, let's just be a practicing family. We started this year, if you were around, we started this year by talking about the gap that typically exists in the lives of Christians between our profession and our practice. You remember that? We talked about the gap that exists between our profession and our practice. So in the spirit of Paul, in the spirit of the gospel, let's just as a family be humble and mature enough to say, yes, there is a gap that exists between our profession and our practice. It's not okay that it's there, and so we're going to give ourselves to acknowledging it and killing it. Like we, want this, we want this gap to shrink down um, as we practice following Jesus um, with his help. Let's commit to live and pursue Jesus in that kind of way for his fame, for each other's good, for the unity of our family, for the practice of the mission that he's given to us, and for the good of those who are not yet adopted into our family. That would be a really life-giving family to belong to. And We can be that in the strength of Christ through the work of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, there are disagreements in the family. You could write that sentence about the life of our family, and all of our names could be inserted in there somewhere. So, Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts, incline us towards humility, compel us to pursue people that we currently have disagreements with. And, Father, give us the grace to agree in Jesus. Father, may our experiences of joy be real as we fight together. We fight for our own joy and we fight for each other's joy. May it be real to those who are fighting. Father, for those who are consumed by anxiety, by fear. Father, for those who will struggle tomorrow, for those who will struggle every day. We pray that they would know your presence and that they would know you as the God of peace. And even in the enduring struggle, that they would know life-giving grace. And in the enduring struggle, that they would know and feel that they are accepted in, in this family, in all of the tension. Father, I pray that you would continue to shape our family through Christ in a way that's very attractive. Not that we are attractive, but that people see you as a good father. And they see Jesus as the true and better, the one worthy of everything. Father, I pray that this family would be that kind of a life-giving family for your fame, for our good, and for the good of those not yet adopted in. And we pray this in Christ's name.